Thank you, thank you. Uh, everybody survived the rain this week? Yeah? I was grateful for the sun on Saturday morning, especially when you have two small kids. Uh, they they kind of have like what I call inside kid syndrome. If they stay inside too long, they start going crazy and breaking stuff. So I was grateful for the sun to get them outside so they could play. You doing all right? Everybody good? All right. If you have your Bibles with you, let me invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 2, late, taking a look at verses 1 through 7. When I was a freshman in high school, I uh, got a letter from our athletic department. It said this, in order to play a fall, winter, or spring sport, you had to get a physical. Now, at 15 years old, I had been to the doctor multiple times, but I had never gotten a physical. So I took the letter to my dad, and I said, Dad, can you, can you explain this to me? And he said this. He said, a physical is a test to help doctors determine whether or not you are healthy. And in this case, if you're healthy enough to play ball. So I asked that question. What are they going to do in a physical? And he said, well, they'll, they'll check your vitals. Um, they'll ask you a series of questions, maybe perform a physical exam. And then he said this, they will draw blood. Now, when I heard those two words, draw blood, I did not hear him say anything else. Because at 15 years old, I, am, I was terrified of needles and do not like the sight of blood. So if you combine those things, it's not good for me. So I remember waiting in angst for this appointment. Remember like it's yesterday, I got in the car, we drove to the Jackson Clinic. I sat in that waiting room, almost vomiting because I was so sick in my stomach because I did not want a needle anywhere near my arm. The nurse calls my name, and I started walking behind her. And you ever seen the movie The Green Mile? Remember that movie, Tom Hanks, right? So I felt like I was walking the green mile to my impending death. She said, Mr. Page, can I get you to get up on the table? I said, yes, ma'am, you can. She said, I'm going to draw blood. So I said, I'm 15 years old. I'm a man because I play football. I am not going to pass out in front of this nurse. So I said, here's my arm. I gripped the table with this, with this arm here. And I just prayed, Jesus, do not let me pass out in front of this nurse. Please, 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 please. What felt like 30 minutes was really five or six, and she took three vials of blood. And I said, am I healthy? Am I healthy? Am I healthy enough to play ball? And she said, well, Mr. Page, we, we don't know that. We won't know that until a couple of days when we send your blood work off to the lab. So these were the days where, I don't know if you grew up in the 90s like me, but everybody had a house phone. Do you know what that is? Okay, you had a house phone, and we had a particular caller ID box attached to us, so I could like look at it and see and screen the call, and if I didn't like it, I didn't have to answer the phone. So every day, I would come home from practice, and I would look at the phone looking for the Jackson Clinic. Did they call? Do I know the results? Day three rolls around. I finally get that phone call. Pick it up. Hello, Mr. Page. This is uh, Dr. Diffie, the Jackson Clinic. Uh, I have some news to share with you. We got the results blood work back. And I'm pleased to announce you are healthy. You are healthy enough to play ball. Those were the term that those three words were what I had longed to hear. You are healthy. Now, why do I share that story with you? At some point, all of us in this room will long to hear those words, you are healthy. Some of you have gone to the doctor to get a physical or perform some routine tests, and you waited for the doctor to say, everything's okay, you're healthy. Some of you have been going through a sickness or an illness or some type of substantial health challenge in your life, and you've been waiting for the doctor to say, you are healthy. 
Well, in today's text, Paul, who is writing to Timothy, says there is a test for you and I to determine whether or not we are a healthy disciple of Jesus. Why is this important? Our mission is to be disciples that make disciples. And in order to fulfill that mission, we need to understand what a healthy disciple of Jesus looks like. I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word as I read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 2 again. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Jesus, as disciples uh, of you, someone who claims to know and follow, you've asked us to carry out a mission. May we be a church that is full of disciple makers. In your name we pray. Amen. Before I jump into this text, let me give you an overview and kind of let you know what's going on. As I mentioned, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is in prison in Rome. This is the second time he has been in prison, and he is just days away from being executed. Now, how do we know that? Later on in this letter, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So this is Paul's last will and testament. It's the last letter that he will ever write, and he writes it to Timothy. Now, who is Timothy? Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. Paul has discipled Timothy since he was a young boy as they traveled all over Asia Minor together. And now, Timothy is in his 30s, and he's a pastor at a church in Ephesus. So Paul writes this letter not only to encourage Timothy, but to give him some much-needed advice. Look at verse 1. Paul says, first, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of 25 times in both 1 and 2 Timothy that Paul says, be strong. Why? Well, even though Timothy has been discipled by Paul, he's not Paul. He's not as bold as Paul. He's not as courageous as Paul. He's a little bit more shy. He's a little bit more timid. And Timothy has committed his entire life to disciple-making, And he's a pastor. He's tired. He's weary. His church has kind of fallen into some ungodly behavior. And he just needs a word of encouragement. And the first thing Paul says, Timothy, brother, be strong. Now let me ask you a question, church. If someone were to come to you and say, I want to become physically stronger. I want to gain strength. What would you say? Some of us would say, well, it starts with eating right. You know, we, we need to do a little carb depletion diet, get rid of all of those nasty carbs, and then lay off the desserts and the junk food and the sodas. You need to eat right. Some of us would say, yeah, well, we need to eat right, but we need to go to the gym. We need to hit those free weights. Maybe on Monday, your routine is chest and back, right? And then Tuesday, it's supersetting buys and tries, and then Wednesday, it's shoulders and legs, and then 
you got to throw in a little core there on Thursday. Some of you would say, all of those things are great, but you need to do cardio. Now, I, I can't stand cardio, but I know cardio is good for the heart. And I would agree with you that a combination of all of those three things will make someone physically stronger. But notice what Paul says in this passage. He doesn't refer to any of those things. But rather he says, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. I looked up that uh, phrase, be strong, this week. And here's what it is. In Greek, it is a present passive imperative. And it implies that we are to yield to, be fully dependent upon. To yield to, to be fully dependent on. So Paul says, Timothy, in order for you to gain strength, in order for you to overcome what's in your life, in order for you to get out of bed every single morning, you have to yield to, submit to the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, what do we mean by grace? Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor favor. It's the idea that we have been freely given eternal life through Jesus Christ, separate from who we are and what we can and cannot do. So here's what what Paul is saying. Timothy, your strength doesn't come from you. There's nothing physically you can do to gain strength, but rather it comes from the fact, listen to this, it comes from the fact that your shortcomings, that in your shortcomings, in your failures, in your sins, God has paid the bill for you. Folks, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand what impact that has on your life, you're going to miss it. There's so much freedom in that, that at the end of the day, no matter what we do, Jesus' blood has covered all of that. And that is where we gain our strength. So maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, okay, Matthew, I understand what you're saying, but what does that mean for me? What does that look like practically in my life? Here's what it means. If you are a healthy disciple of Jesus, you should be abiding in the power and the grace of Jesus. If you are a healthy disciple of Jesus, you should be abiding in the power and the grace of Jesus. Now, I used that term last week, but I did a word study on it, and here's what it means to abide. It means to reside, take up root in. And it implies three things. Listen to this. It implies being connected, being dependent, and it's a constant state. So abiding in Jesus means that we are dependent upon Jesus. We are connected to Jesus anytime, anywhere, any place, all the time. It's not something we slip in and out of. It's not something we go back and forth between. And that only happens in the difficult seasons of our life, but those times of success and when things are going well. Paul says a healthy disciple of Jesus abides in Jesus. How do we abide? Well, I shared with you last week, one of the ways that we can abide is through devoting ourselves to prayer. But here's another way. Reading, meditating, memorizing the word. Reading, meditating, memorizing the word. Because here's what happens. When we read the word, we become more like Jesus, which is the goal of any disciple. It's to become like Jesus. As we read the word, the heart, or we commit those words to our hearts and our minds. Here's what happens. Those words transform us, renew us, revive us, and sanctify us. Paul says, your strength, my strength, comes from abiding in Jesus Christ. And hear me say this, church. 
Abiding in Jesus is not optional. It is not optional. We can't face whatever we're come in contact with out there. We cannot face without the person of Jesus. We cannot. And we certainly can't make disciples without abiding in Jesus. Here's my challenge to you, similar to last week. Find time this week, the next seven days, and abide. Take 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and begin to read the scriptures. Some of you may say, Matthew, where do I start? Here's what I would tell you. Start in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? The Gospels tell us about who Jesus is, how he lived his life, how he loved, how he engaged, how he behaved. Start by reading the Gospels. It will take some time for us to develop this habit because it's unnatural for most of us. And it's going to take discipline, hard work, and intentionality. And like I said last week, if you have to schedule a reminder in your phone, if you have to go into Outlook and put it in your calendar, do that until it becomes a habit. There is nothing more important that you will ever do on this earth other than abiding in Jesus Christ. Abiding in Jesus is not optional. Look at verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's the second characteristic of a healthy disciple. Are you ready for it? Make disciples. Make disciples. Paul says, Timothy, you remember all those times that you and I were traveling all over Asia Minor and I was preaching the gospel and you and I had conversations about Jesus, his actions, his personality, his deeds. Remember that? I want you to take what you learned and teach them to other people. I think there are some of us in this room that think, again, discipleship is optional or it's for the super holy Christians, it's for Matthew, it's for Aaron, it's for Hunter. It's not. Discipleship is for everyone in this room. Again, practically, what does this look like in your life and in my life? Here at the Church at Avenue South, uh, we not only want you to be discipled, but we want you to make disciples. So we have, we have three buckets of discipleship. First, we have life groups. It's a group of 10 to 12 men or women who have committed to loving, loving each other, involved in each other's life. They'll study God's word together. They will encourage you along your spiritual journey. I want you to be involved get in a life group. If you say, Matthew, you know what? That's not for me. That's too many people. Try this one, a Bible reading group. A group of three to four men, three to four women who will chew on, meditate on, and study God's word. And I caution you with a Bible reading group. There's a high level of accountability and a high level of commitment. You'll be expected to confess sin. And the people in that group hold you accountable for the junk in your life. If you say, Matthew, that's not for me, let me give you one more. Mental relationships. You heard Doug speak to it earlier. We will pair you with a mentor who will walk alongside of you in your spiritual journey, just like Paul did Timothy. But I want you to hear me say this. Discipleship doesn't end there. It starts there. Just as important as you being discipled is, who are you discipling? Now I want to say this. There are churches in America today that are filled with consumers, not disciples. Here's what I mean by that. Consumers will walk through the door of the church. They will sit in the same seat. They will engage the same people. 
They may even lift their hands during the worship set. They will take notes, and then when they walk out the door, it ends there. Paul would say those men and women are consumers, not disciples, because here's what a disciple is. It's a co-worker in the kingdom of heaven. Co-worker. Consumers ask the question, what can this church do for me? How can this church meet my needs? What can this group do for me? But disciples of Jesus ask the question, what can I do for this church? How can I give back? How can I invest in other people? A disciple of Jesus is a co-worker with Jesus. And listen, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't even have to listen to Paul. But I want to show you what Jesus says a disciple looks like. Look at the scripture on the screen. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He looks out. He sees teenage boys fishing. And so he extends the invitation to these boys to become his disciples. Here's the job description. Look at this. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you what? Fish for people. He doesn't say be active churchgoers. He doesn't say be perfect attendance Christians. I'll make you go to Avenue South of your church. Notice what he says. Fishers of people. The term disciple and disciple maker are synonymous with one another. You cannot have one without the other. You can't. If you claim to know and follow Jesus, you will make disciples. Some of you may say, Matthew, I hear you. I hear you. How do I do that? Here's what I would tell you. Begin by abiding in Jesus. As you become a student of the word, you can take what Jesus is teaching you, revealing to you, and you can teach it to other people. Start with becoming a student of the word. Again, this is not for the super holy Christians. This is not for Hunter, Matthew, Aaron, people on staff at churches. It's for every disciple in this room. Some, some of you may say, Matthew, I hear what you're saying. I got it. Okay, so, so abide in Jesus. The more I learn about who Jesus is, I take that and I pass it along. Yes. Who do I disciple? Just so happens Paul answers that question. Look at, look at verse 2 again. And what you may have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful men and women. Not those who are the most successful. Not those who make the most money, the best dressed. But faithful. That term means those who are hungry for the word, teachable, and available. Hungry, teachable, and available. And here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't always choose who you think he should choose. He chose 12 teenagers who flunked out of rabbinical school, and he said, come and follow me. And we're all sitting in here this morning because of their faithfulness to the mission. This week, here's my challenge to you. Next seven days, be praying, asking God to reveal those faithful, teachable, and hungry Christians where you are. 
And then I want you to commit to discipling them for a period of time, six months, 12 months, 18 months, with the goal in mind that they will reproduce and multiply themselves into somebody else. And hear me say this. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, hear me say this. The greatest offering that you could bring to Jesus is not your acts of service. It's not being in this place week in and week out. Those things are great. But it's bringing him another disciple of Jesus. The greatest offering you could bring to Jesus is another disciple. Again, it's going to take time, intentionality. It's going to be hard. We'll have to develop that habit. But start this week by asking Jesus, who do I need to pass my faith on to? And if you need help, come see me. Come see our staff. Discipleship is not optional. Look at verse 3. Paul says, Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Here's the third marker characteristic of a healthy disciple. Someone who will endure suffering. Paul understood this, right? Paul has been beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. Oh yeah, that's in there, read it. And he's just days away from being executed. He says, Timothy, following Jesus and making disciples will cost you something. And I want to say this, we live in a world where it's going to become increasingly more difficult to be a Christ follower. The moment you signed up to be a Christ follower, you received a target on your back. Your marriage will come under attack. Your children will come under attack. Your singleness will come under attack. That's why it's important to be abiding in Jesus. I know men and women in this congregation The moment they professed Jesus, they followed in believers' baptism. Here's what happened. Their family and their friends cut them off completely. They did not even show up for their baptism. Being a disciple cost them their family. I know many women in this congregation who, because they follow Jesus, Scripture is the ultimate authority in their life. Their boss asked them to do something they didn't agree with and went against Scripture, and they lost their job. Being a disciple of Jesus will cost you something, but here's what I want to encourage you with. Paul says, Timothy, church, for great is your reward in heaven. Keep your eyes on the prize because when we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, none of this is going to matter anymore. It's all going to be worth it. The last three verses, I don't have time to unpack them today. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But let me give you this. Paul says, being a Christ follower, a disciple, will require the what? Focus, determination, and dedication of a soldier. What I love about the men and women in our armed forces is they will not stop. They will not quit until the finish, until the mission is finished. Paul says it'll be hard It'll be difficult, but stay focused and follow Jesus. Look at the next one in verse 5. He says it'll take the discipline of an athlete. Discipline of an athlete. I read an article this week that Tom Brady, one of the ways he is able to prolong his career 
It's because he's changed his diet. Do you know a brother hasn't had a piece of dessert in like six years? Six years! I skipped dessert last night, and I think I'm disciplined. Six years! It's a great picture of us. You do whatever it takes to make disciples and follow Jesus. Finally, he says this, church, it's going to require that you be as persistent and you work as hard as a farmer does waiting for that harvest. You know what, my granddaddy, I saw this firsthand in my life. He would literally get up at 4 a.m. He was on a tractor by 5, and he's toiling in the field. Then you know what he did? He spent his, half of his life on his knees in prayer hoping for a harvest. Praying for a harvest. That's the picture of, of you and me. Let's do the hard work and leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. So here's the test. Do you abide in Jesus? Do you make disciples? Are you willing to endure suffering? That's what a disciple of Jesus looks like. As I close... I want you to watch a video. There's a lady in our congregation by the name of Betty Wiseman. She attends the Brentwood campus. Betty has devoted her time to disciple making. And here's the thing I want you to know. All of us have a platform for disciple making. You do. You can reach more people than I could ever reach from this stage. She's 75 years old. She told the story that it was time for her to retire go and travel the world and do what she wanted to do, but God called her to make disciples. I want you to hear her story and the impact that it's had.